I'm journalist Carolyn Osorio, and I invite you to join me and my co-host, Brandon Morgan, on our podcast, Criminal Mischief. From law enforcement officers seeking justice to victims' families seeking answers, every week there's a new case and a new victim whose story deserves to be told. New episodes of Criminal Mischief drop every Tuesday. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, I'm your host, Simon. Welcome to the show. If you love this show, leave it a review. Yes, we're delivering on the high value first, asking you for something before I've... Every bit of YouTube advice is always like, deliver some value before you ask someone to uh, like, subscribe, or on a podcast, leave a review. And here I am right at the start asking you to be a true legend and leave this podcast a review wherever you listen to it because uh, it gets it into more people's hands and i desperately need that because i like people listening and watching look today we're talking about the nazca lines thank you arnaldo for writing this oh my god an alien landing strip question mark or not dot 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 that's the title of the episode Look, I, I, I don't want to shit all over the concept before we've even really started with today's episode, but I'm familiar with the Nazca lines. Nazca lines? No, Simon. Nazca. Nazca. They're somewhere like... I think they're in Peru. Does it say that in the title? No. <laughs> Look, I think they're in Peru, and they're these lines in the dirt that were made a really long-ass time ago, and people are like, oh, <laughs> the ancient people from Peru could have possibly made something so advanced. It must be aliens. Am I just immediately thinking of anything like this? It's like, or, or they figured it out. Either they were more advanced than you think, or uh, it was aliens, and guess what? It's not. Aliens. Because, I mean, just the absurdity of this is like what the aliens came to Earth, and then they scraped some lines on the grounds to, like, land their spaceships, and then they left and there's absolutely zero evidence for that whatsoever other than some lines which were probably just made by people and again it's like the ancient pyramids thing like oh no no the ancient egyptians couldn't possibly have built those uh it would just be impossible they had much too small brains and it's like it's just vaguely racist isn't it (laughs) anyway let's jump in somewhere in peru nailed it simon big brain Sometime in the first decade of the second millennium, a group of British backpackers are touring the vast, dry expenses of the Peruvian pampas, happily exploring the world during their gap year. <laughs> you guys know, it was one of the original, like, OG videos that I remember, and it was just this, uh, it was a video of this, like, stereotypical gap year detail. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, uh, super, super posh. And... He was, he's talking about, like, his gap year. <laughs> I don't even remember why this was so brilliant, but at some point, it, he pronounces it Gapya. Gapya. In Peru. Instead of Peru. Because uh, I guess Peru is how posh people say Peru, which I've never heard before. But it's a... It, this, I hope this video is still on YouTube. It was like, along with watching pirated versions of the Ali G show as a student, this was... Gee, what was that, Simon? That was supposed to be a chef's kiss. It was beautiful, amazing, and then he chunders everywhere. The sun is hitting hard, but they manage to climb atop a small hill. Most of them collapse to the ground, exhausted. Only one stands tall, peering at the horizon. He has a thick mop of hair, is clean-shaven, and doesn't wear glasses. He suddenly exclaims, Lads, have you seen this? It is most flabbergasting. The plain beneath us is inscribed in tens, if not hundreds, of shapes. I can see lines, patterns, even images of animals. A number of member of the group interjects, What are you talking about, Simon? <laughs> oh, the guy with... Yeah, I did used to have long floppy hair. I was clean-shaven and I didn't wear glasses. 
Unfortunately, my hair fell out. I grew myself a beard because I didn't want to look like Mr. Clean. And uh, my eyes just got a bit <laughs> So here we are. But I've never been to Peru. I, I never... I did go on a gap year. Um, and I didn't go to Peru, even though it's very popular. Although it's uh, technically pronounced Peru. Here is known as Simon continues. No humans could have possibly conceived such magnificence. It must be the work of... No, Simon, don't say it, please. Aliens. <laughs> Yeah, back in my when I had floppy hair, it also made my brain stupid. Our imaginary friends in this fictitious yet realistic little scene have just come across the magnificence of the Nazca Lines, a UNESCO World Heritage Site. To give you a quick intro, these lines are a collection of hundreds of giant geoglyphs or signs carved into the surface of the Earth. The Nazca geoglyphs are located some 400 kilometers south of P- uh, Lima, Peru's capital. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to pronounce it Peru from now on because this is a joke that I imagine only four other people in the audience are familiar with. So we're just going to stop and carry on. They cover a surface of 450 square kilometers straddling the Pampas of Jamana and the desertic plains by the Rio Grande to Nazca. To oversimplify, <laughs> just FYI, I have no idea if I've pronounced any of that correctly. I'm fairly sure Nazca lines is pronounced like that, but like Jamana, I'm honestly not even sure of the pronunciation of desertic and that is not a place. <laughs> To oversimplify, the drawings in the area can be divided into two large groups. The first group of shapes depict a variety of living beings, hence their name, Biomorphs. That sounds like a sequel to the Animorphs series of books, which I never read, but my sister was absolutely obsessed with, to the extent that I think she wishes she was an Animorph. <laughs> She'd be like, sick, I wish I could turn into a bird right now, and it's like, alright, <laughs> okay. The anonymous artists have captured with the simplicity and refined elegance the essence of animals, plants, humanoid creatures, and even what appear to be mythical beasts. Some well-known examples include the monkey, the condor, the spider, the hummingbird, or the recently discovered cat. <laughs> I am just like with this. It's also ridiculous because I know people are going to be like, it's aliens. It's aliens. What? The aliens came down to Earth and drew a giant picture of a monkey what the the aliens are just graffiti artists they just come down and like scrawl some nonsense on a mountain and then off please there are also more puzzling geoglyphs such as the giants which some insist may be an astronaut and by some we mean idiots or a nightmarish orca human hybrid which holds a severed head the second category includes lines (laughs) it's like okay so what's this it's either an astronaut or an alien or it's a bit of a badly drawn human Uh, I wonder what that could be. (laughs) Because I've seen these things. They're not exactly super accurate. The second category includes lines and abstract geometrical shapes of varying complexity. The lines are generally straight, extending for as much as 12 kilometers, crossing riverbeds and hills without losing direction. Many lines originate from the same point or hub, and others merge into mazes, spirals, and geometrical figures, some up to 400 meters long. The first record of these lines dates to 1533, when Spanish conquistador Cieza de Leon reported the presence of trail markers in the desertic plains, but we had to wait until 1926 for them to be fully revealed to the world. Is that because that's when we got up in the air and we're like, oh sh! look at all this, because before... Wait, didn't we just say that our backpack, our fictional backpackers saw them from a big-ass mountain? Hmm. This honor belongs to Peruvian archaeologist Torabio Major Excepe. <laughs> I just made zero effort with that. I'm sorry, Torabio! 
who spotted the patterns while hiking the hills. The mantle was later picked up by historian Paul Cossack and most of all by Maria Reich, the legendary Lady of the Lines. Reich, again, R-E-I-C-H-E, Reich. Reich devoted all of her life to studying, cataloging, and preserving the Nazca lines to the point that she single-handedly swept more than a thousand kilometers worth of lines with a broom to prevent the designs from being covered in sand and dust. Okay, <laughs> that's a lot. Is she an archaeologist? Because I feel like if you're if you're like a historian, you're studying this stuff. I mean, no offense to people who brush things, but isn't that the job of someone else, like to do? Shouldn't like the archaeologist or whatever be like, let's get a big overview and be focused on writing a book or spreading knowledge about this, rather than sweeping a thousand kilometers worth of worth of dust. I don't know, just me. Until her death in June of 1998, Maria Reich could be seen patrolling the line, sometimes chasing away intruders in her wheelchair. Oh my. Welcome to Nazca Interstellar Airport. Paul Cossack, Maria Reich, and other scholars such as Peruvian archaeologist Johnny Isler pretty much agreed that the lines were drawn mainly by the local pre-Columbian civilization of the Nazcas, with some artwork carved by the neighboring Palpas. <laughs> but let's not listen to these educated fools! What do they know? With their stupid books, and learning, and multiple degrees, and incredible brains? Why should we listen to them? There's some idiots on the internet who think it's an airport, let's go! man. Why, why is it like this? Why are people like this? Why do you have to be so dumb? The technique they used consists of simply removing the top of the surface with oxidized pebbles, revealing a clearer layer of sand and dirt. Amongst the gravel placed by the cleared paths, Maria Reich was able to find remains of wooden stakes and pottery artifacts. Based on carbon dating, she was able to estimate that most geoglyphs were drawn between 500 BC and 500 AD. But there are still many more open questions which need to be addressed. What motivated the Naz to etch and sketch all over the pampas? How could they plan and direct the work without access to a high vantage point? And was there some form of external help involved? For example, from aliens. <laughs> um, look, let me take some guesses right here. Why do we humans do anything? Because we want to leave like a mark. The Romans made statues and big buildings. I make thousands of YouTube videos. <laughs> Bad example. But people like making their mark on the world. And what better way to do it than by drawing some massive lines on the ground? What was the second question? How do they plan and direct the work without access to a high vantage? I don't know. Maybe scale diagrams? Like, if I was to... Okay, put me out in a field. And I'm like, Simon, we need you to draw an octagon. And I'll be like, the first thing I'm going to do is not write to, like, um, cat and be like, yo, I need a giant cherry picker, cat. Are these, I, I worry these are British specific terms. A cat is like, a, I think Americans call them a backhoe. Or like they, they're the company that make backhoes, like JCB, um, Liebherr, um, Cat. You know, these big companies, they make big machines and they make those cherry pickers, which are those platforms that rise up into the air. If someone's asking me to draw an octagon, oh no, that was a very long explanation to describe a platform that goes up in the air, Simon. What, what are you up to? Um, it, I'm not going to be like, okay, I need a giant platform to go up in the air so I can see what I'm doing. Of course not. I'm going to draw an octagon by hand, be like, okay, let's make that side 10 paces, that side 10 paces, and how are we going to work out the angles? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. The same way we worked them out by drawing it by hand. It's not that hard. Sure, it's not going to look perfect, but I don't need a giant cherry picker to get it right. 
The words Nazca and aliens are often mentioned in the same breath. It's widespread theory that the lines may have inspired by contact with a UFO, may have been drawn by the aliens themselves, or may have been intended as a means of communication between the Nazcas and visitors from above. Yeah, that sounds likely. The aliens arrived on Earth after traveling thousands of light years in their magical alien spacecraft that are so far beyond our level of technology that we couldn't possibly understand them. And uh, then they're like, well, how are we going to have a chat? And then you're like, well, just draw a big cat on the ground. <laughs> That's how we communicate. Big, giant cats drawn in the ground. But how did it all get started? The association may have been kicked off by one of our serious scholars, Paul Kosick. He once noted that the lines looked like prehistoric landing fields. It was, of course, a joke. But it may have inspired Swiss writer Eric von Deineken, author of the classic chariot of the gods has this come up in a previous DT, uh, decoding the unknown episode which i call dtu whenever i'm like sending emails to people or like you know making videos like behind the scenes but i realized i don't often call it that on the air so why are you explaining this simon good lord this is not what people are here for um so he wrote this book called chariot of the gods and i'm pretty sure i've heard of this book before in a previous episode and it's the one that he had to republish like saying this is a work of fiction <laughs> afterwards because did he didn't he go in trouble or something like that i don't know for those who are not familiar with Herr Daniken, his book posits the theory that ancient civilizations were visited by extraterrestrial beings whose advanced technology and flying crafts inspired the depiction of deities in most religions Everyone else thinks he's just smoked too much crack, allegedly. Or I don't know. Probably not crack. <laughs> What's that? Like, a drug that makes you, you know, imagine shit that's not there. What's that one Joe Rogan always talks about? He's like, um, yeah, I took it. I went into some other realm. And it's like, all right, Joe. <laughs> Steady on. <laughs> ketamine? No, it's not ketamine. Oh, God, I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter. Let's not be doing that. Chariot of the Gods is considered one of the main inspirations for another classic of the Western canon, Ancient Aliens, aired by the History Channel. History Channel. <laughs> While first researching the mystery of the Nazca, I came across a summary of Van, Van Von Dyneken's theory. According to him, an alien craft may have landed on the Nazca Plains, leaving a long line on the ground. The locals were left in awe, interpreting the event as important to the gods. This miraculous happening inspired them to carve their own lines into the oxidized grounds, which then evolved into the more complicated patterns and biomorphs. I'm not discounting that Von Dyneken or a like-minded author may have come up with such an origin story. Well, no, of course not. <laughs> it's like if you just make up an origin story, it, you still came up with it. It doesn't mean anything. Right? Did I miss some? It's not. I did not trust the summary, however, and search for chariots and Nazca on my trusty Scribd account. Scribd's amazing. I, they used to sponsor us. I think they sponsored like one episode, and I'd used them for years, and I was really disappointed they didn't come back. Because <laughs> I was like, I, it's like one of those. Whenever there's a service like Backblaze is one I always think of that I've used. Like I, you know, I vet my sponsors. I'm happy with who sponsors us. But there are services that I've used for like years before they come along as sponsors, and I'm like, that's pretty cool. Like Backblaze, Scribd before. Um, who else? There are a few others. But Scribd is incredible. You pay like six six dollars six pounds something like that i don't even know it's really cheap a month and you get like unlimited now it doesn't have all of the books but it's got a crazy selection of audiobooks a crazy selection of books and it's an absolute bargain so look scribd there's a free plug <laughs> I, I honestly if you just comped my account i'll be happy with that 
<laughs> Honestly, I'm just happy to pay for it, actually. Whatever, you're welcome. Scribd is an online library with access to thousands of free ebooks, audiobooks, and podca- podcasts and scholarly journals, which I find invaluable in my research. This is not a sponsored blog, by the way, but if I were Scribd, I would sponsor the hell out of Simon Whistler and offer it free and offer free subs to all of his authors. Hell yeah, Scribd, get on it! Anyway, a quick search for Nazca returned a smorgasbord, a cornucopia, a panoply of entity enticing titles such as Raising Atlantis, Ancient Giants of the Americas, Ancient Aliens, The Official Companion Book, and Ancient Aliens and JFK. It's when you mix, sorry, if anyone just says JFK, Ancient Aliens and JFK, whenever you mix the crazy conspiracy theories together, it's like, you know, when you say like, yeah, there's, you know, you take a, a deck of cards and you're like, okay, what are the odds of getting the Queen of Hearts? Well, it's one in 52. But then what are the odds of getting the Queen of Hearts twice in a row? It's 52 multiplied by 52. So it's, you know, it's vastly less likely that it's going to happen twice in a row. And uh, when you mix two conspiracy theories together that are super unlikely, although, you know, JFK ain't ancient aliens, all right? Like the J- not, not that he's coming back to life or anything. But, uh, you know, the JFK, the, 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 that assassination and stuff, I'm like, there's some shady shit going on there. Don't know what it is. Uh, but it's like, shit went down right it's not quite you know it's weird uh, but ancient age is obviously utter nonsense but when you mix those two together it just becomes much less likely so stop doing that that was a rabbit hole i couldn't wait to probe probe pun intended but i focused on chariot of the gods and i realized that von Daniken's approach is more subtle than I expected. In fact, he never mentions that aliens may have landed on the plane, but he does suggest that the geoglyphs were carved to attract extraterrestrial attention or serve an extraterrestrial function. Which is totally fair, because, like, people could believe that. It doesn't make it any more real, but it makes what they're doing, yeah, alien-related. That's entirely possible. Have we been ripping into Bandanakin this whole time and being too harsh? Because that just sounds like pretty decent... I mean, it's a guess, but it's not complete bull... In his own words, the, quote, impression that the 37-mile-long plane of Nazca made on me was that of an airfield. What is so far-fetched about the idea? Well, what's far-fetched, mate, is that it was many, 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 many years before planes existed, so there wouldn't be much need for it. And also, I take what I, take what I said back. <laughs> I take it back. Oh, Von Daniken. What is wrong with the idea that the lines were laid out to say to the gods, Land here. Everything has been prepared as you ordered. He does admit that, quote, It's not yet possible to say with certainty whether the plain of Nazca was ever an airfield, but he concludes that carving the biomorphs and geometric patterns would have taken decades without modern machines and appliances. This whole activity would have made no sense if the end product of their efforts had not been meant to as signs to beings approaching from great heights. Look, chill out. Um, people do all sorts of stupid stuff. Like, in the future, we'll be looking at all these religious buildings. From here. It's like, oh my god, look at this cathedral. It's so fancy. And in, like, thousands of years, maybe some of these cathedrals will still be around. And people will be like, why did we build these again? They'll be like, oh, they thought they were, like, they were places where everyone would get together and, uh, set, and they'd whisper to this invisible man in the sky. And people will be like, whoa, they spent so much effort building these buildings that don't really have any super practical purpose. And people will be like, yeah like we're doing to the Nazca lines right now. They spent decades scratching these lines in the ground because they thought there were men in the sky. <laughs> Idiots! And yet here we are doing the same thing. They still build these mega churches, right? The big glass things. There's a dude up there and he's like, Give me all your money or you'll go to hell. It's weird, isn't it? 
For his latter book, History is Wrong. Sorry, later book. Learn to read, Simon Christ. Our Lord and Savior. History is wrong. Danikin, <laughs> Danikin returned to Nazca. His foundation footed the bill for a joint expedition of the HTW Dresden University and the Pontific Pontifical Catholic University of Peru. The expedition performed magnetic and geoelectric measurements on the lines and, surround and the surrounding untouched surfaces. Their findings showed a clear difference in magnetic measurements between the lines and the other areas, as well as geoelectric anomalies up to two meters below the geoglyphs. Finally, soil analysis revealed unusually high deposits of arsenic in the presence of a white glass-like material whose origin could not be explained. Well, this is all very unusual, and I imagine it's about to be explained, so what's the conclusion of this research? Well, there isn't any, to be honest. The author reiterates the oddity of these findings, now that should lead us to speculate that the official explanations offered by mainstream academia should not be taken for granted. And speaking of mainstream academia, let's get to the- we'll get to their theories in a jiffy. Okay, so what's up with that? I think, like, two meters below the geoglyphs, I don't think there's anything weird down there. Like, they didn't dig two meters down. And even if they did, what could they have that would affect that? It just sounds like, I don't know. Who did this? HTW. What is HTW? Dresden University. See, the Pontifical Catholic University of Peru sounds biased. What is HTW Dresden? Don't tell me this is some sort of religious university. Nope, that is a proper university. Um, and I'm not saying that that other one, whatever it was, the Pontifical one, is not but it does feel like it's got a bit of a bias, doesn't it? It's called Catholic University. They might want to, you know, they probably like Catholicism. I don't know. I just, it just feels a bit biased, doesn't it? And the book is called History is Wrong. And it's written by this guy who's just a little bit, you know, I don't think Von Daniken's like particularly, or, you know, he doesn't, his, I just don't like his, okay, I'm struggling with this one a little bit, aren't I? Maybe there's all sorts of magic shit down there. <laughs> It's not aliens. For a moment, let's keep our feet firmly planted in conspiracy land. A threat from Orion. He is known as the man who solved the Nazca lines, and his name is Reverend Ryushin Sean Malone, and he introduces himself as such. Quote, I'm a 40-year-old Zen Buddhist teacher, scientist in the field of xenoanthropology and etymology. He is also a musician, end quote. On the website theorionlines.com, you may access for free his self-published work, The Orion Lines, Solving the Nazca Lines and the Secrets to the Stars, in which he lays out in no uncertain terms a shocking truth. Reverend Malone notes how the straight lines which crisscross the plains at Nazca tend to converge into three main hubs. In his interpretation, these three points replicate the constellation of Orion. Ergo, the Nazca Lines were designed and carved by the Orion Group. This is a malevolent extraterrestrial race once allied to the Nazis. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Bees are much older than that. Um, also, what, 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 what's just, what's wrong with someone looking at the stars and being like, oh look, there's, you know, whatever the fuck they called Orion. Let's copy that down. Let's make a, you know, let's draw that in the grounds. That seems infinitely more likely than it being aliens from Orion. And also they're, they're, they're <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> Uh, the Nazis, with allied Nazis, this Orion group, that, that he says, quote, Satanic force who takes over the star system. Uh, sick, it should say star systems. <laughs> but he just didn't get the S on the end there. 
quite throughout the galaxy if not the universe malone then proceeds to prove that the orion patterns can be identified in other ancient and modern architectural sites for example after the end of world war ii the u.s armed forces in cahoots with the nazis built secret facilities in the mainland u.s laid out in an orion pattern these are known as deep underground military bases which arnaldo points out d-u-m-b dumb <laughs> I should stress that the Orion pattern simply consists of three dots placed along the same line, hardly unique. Oh, what, like Orion's belts? So it's not even the whole of Orion, it's just three dots. Brilliant, so it's just things that... <laughs> Why are you smoking? You're smoking the crack. You are, you're smoking the crack. In fact, I have three moles in an Orion pattern on my left shoulder. I should have them checked, by the way. What matters, though, is the function fulfilled by these patterns. The Orion group has placed them to scare off competing alien races. Their endgame is to have planet Earth all to themselves so they can harvest huns, tons of adrenochrome from our adrenal glands. Right, I'll stop there. This is a rabbit hole I fell into. Hook, line, and sinker. I'll need two hours in Excel to realign my neurons. <laughs> Don't worry, just get some adrenochrome going. Yeah, 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 the magical aliens traveled all the way across thousands of light years to draw some lines in the ground and harvest stuff from our adrenal glands. Isn't what's made from an adrenal gland adrenaline, which they can make in a lab? It's called, uh, well, it's not adrenaline, is it? There's one that's adrenaline and one, there's one that's, uh, the other one. One's chemical, one, one's made in a lab and one's made in your body, but they're essentially the same thing. Designers on hot air balloons. I'm not entirely sure if Reverend Malone is for real, but his mention of adrenochrome seems to tap into the broader QAnon conspiracy, which I'm sure Simon will cover or has already covered at some point. Wow, on the day I'm recording this, that came out um, like literally yesterday. Or maybe it was Monday. It's Wednesday when I'm recording this. I think it came out on Monday. This will give you an idea of quite how far ahead we're recorded on these channels, because this is probably airing sometime around Christmas. <laughs> and it's summer. <laughs> I think this is a good time to gradually... And Oh, but I made a video. That QAnon video. QAnon's crazy. What the fuck are you up to? <laughs> I think this is a good time to gradually drift towards more sound approaches to explaining the Nazca lines. One of the hanging questions is, how could the Nazcas plan and direct the work without access to a high vantage point? Author Jim Woodman did not buy into the notion that the Nazcas received help from a spacecraft because they could handle flight themselves. He was first in spot and <laughs> I know earlier I said, you know, I was saying like, look, you're, you're, you're saying that people back in the day weren't capable of these things and aliens had to do it, which is, like I said, vaguely racist. And now you're, and now I'm going to shit all over the idea that they could fly. Um, They couldn't fly. No one could fly. <laughs> he was first inspired by the local legends of heroes Orochan and Antiki, who were able to fly to heaven and back or spy on their enemies' armies from above. He later learned that tribes in Peru and Brazil were skilled manufacturers of large paper envelopes which could fly, once filled with smoke from uh, rising from pots filled with burning cane. Woodman's theory was that the Nazcas had mastered flight with hot air balloons, and to prove his theory, in 1975 he crafted a balloon using material, technology, and designs compatible with Nazca culture. On the 25th of November of that year, the balloon named Condor 1 was put to the test, and surprised Surprisingly, it flew rather well. Woodman was convinced that the lines, and especially the large biomorphs, could have been planned and enjoyed only from a basket floating 180 meters above the surface. I Why jump to something that's so much more complicated? Why not just be like they use diagrams? Like me and my octagon in the field, it's not that hard. It's really not that hard. Enter the experts. 
American archaeologist Anthony Avini later dismissed the idea that the Nazcas had to go airborne. The hills adjacent to the valley are more than enough as a vantage point. His Peruvian colleague, Johnny Isla, argued that at least some of the animal-inspired figures are votive offerings of the Nazca gods of rain and fertility. As such, they're not for consumption by humble human eyes, but for gods watching from above. Who cares if you, lowly peasant, can't observe them in all their glory? Physicist Amelia Sparavigna has studied the relationship between the biomorphs and the skies from another point of view. She used Google Maps and the software Stellarium to identify precise alignments between the geoglyphs and celestial objects. She found, for instance, that the long bill of the frigate bird figure points to the star Fommel Haut as it appeared in the year 1000 AD. It is cool that we have these apps. Like, this is this woman is not, she doesn't have to go there. She can just fire up Google Maps and her computer in this Stellarium app and just be like, do legitimate research that is discovering something new. It's awesome. The future is great. I love it. Or that the beak of the hummingbird dips into two perfectly parallel lines aligned with the sunrise on the December solstice. Her theories have been counter-argued by authors Helene Silverman and Donald Prohl. Uh, their point is that any alignment between a star and a ground marking is statistically insignificant considering the infinite number of stars visible in the night sky at Nazca. Yeah, that's also fair because... If these are the only two things she found and they happen to like it would have to be at the time these things were built right and no you can't just pick a time in history and be like well it matches up then because that's just a random coincidence i don't have enough information to draw a conclusion on that but it is still cool that that sort of research can potentially be done I don't think the fact that she could potentially be wrong detracts from that. But let's return to the notion of plotting the biomorphs from above. The Nazcas may have had the technology to launch hot air balloons, but very likely had no reason to do so. Let me introduce you to Dr. Joe Nickel. Dr. Nickel is a stage magician, private investigator, and research fellow of the Committee of Skeptical Inquiry. This sounds like a guy that I'm going to respect his opinion. <laughs> it's like he's a magician. And magicians are always the ones who are like, yeah, look. All of that cold reading medium shit is just magic dressed up as something, dressed up badly to rip people off. And he's also in Skeptical Inquiry, and he's a private investigator. He sounds like a legend. He sounds like an absolute legend. On <laughs> Aldo and I, same page. And like the legend that he is, he set his mind to replicating the 134-meter-long biomorph of the Condor. In 1982, Nickel enlisted a crew of absolute geoglyph virgins to prove that anybody could accomplish this feat. His father, his cousins, and his 12-year-old nephew. Dr. Joe and family drafted a small preparatory drawing of a bird and then plotted 165 key points in relation to its vertical axis. They then drew a 134-meter-long vertical axis on an empty field and replicated the 165 points adjusted to scale. Next, they stretched lengths of twine from one point to another, and finally they played a merry game of join the dots using the stretched twine as a guide to draw the lines. The end result was incredibly similar to the original Condor, a group of amateurs with no previous experience and no assistance from the skies were able to jot down a massive bird in two days. Again, going back to my octagon example, it is not hard to figure this out. This is much easier to figure out than fucking flight. <laughs> Let's assume that the Nazcas assigned larger teams of more experienced artists to the carving job it would have taken them mere hours to crank out a condor or a hummingbird, which allows me to address a point raised by Von Daniken. Remember, he argued that they would have taken years or decades for a primitive civilization to decorate the plains. Such a gigantic effort surely was dedicated to attracting the attention of beings approaching from great heights. 
Not so much of a gigantic effort, it seems, though. And not so much a primitive civilization after all. Archaeological excavations at Nazca have found a large number of shattered pots. I'm neither an archaeologist nor an anthropologist, but I believe a good rule of thumb is that if a civilization has developed the need to produce pots in large quantities, it means that they need to store or transport something, usually a surplus of food. And when you have a surplus of food, it generally means that your society has achieved a degree of differentiation. Not all arms are needed to farm the land, and some individuals will act as administrators, merchants, priests, soldiers, etc. So would it be a wild speculation to assume that not all the Nazcas were breaking their backs in farming the land, and some of them may have even been full-time artists or geoglyph carvers at least. Or at least, or I think even more likely they're just super into religion and like they think there are people in the sky and that by drawing on the ground that's how they will be able to communicate with them. I think, I mean, it's a type of art, I suppose, and I think this is a totally realistic answer. Because, you know, not all the shapes in the valley are works of art. This is not a critique of their abilities, mind you, just a consideration that many geoglyphs are simply symmetrical figures, patterns, and straight lines. The early discoverer of the lines, archaeologist Turabio Maya Zepsep, sorry, suggested that the more linear designs were pilgrimage tracks, perhaps heading to the Nazca coastal hub of Chauhachi. While archaeologist Anthony Avini found that most of the straight lines ended into trapezoidal shapes oriented along watercourses. This led him to speculate that the lines were related to water in some important way, either functionally or spiritually. Bevany also suggested that the straight lines could merely be narrow footpaths guiding workers through their commute. According to the meter system developed by the Andean societies, groups of laborers were required to move across the region and spend pre-assigned time working far from home. Maybe these paths are a trace of a pre-existing similar labor system allowing commuters from centuries ago to find their bearings. These Andean commuters may have been guided in their travels also by the Type B geoglyphs identified by Yamagata University researchers in 2019. These are usually found on sloping inclines and may have been used as wayposts for travelers or to demarcate territories, indicating that a certain area belonged to a social group. In conclusion, so what have we actually decoded today? Well, we could say that the scholarly community has clarified with a certain degree of certainty who has drawn the magnificent Nazca lines, when and how. The answer to why, or at least a definitive answer to why, remains elusive. An extraterrestrial explanation, however fascinating I admit, seems out of the question. The only way it's in the question is if the people believe that they were using it to communicate with extraterrestrials. It doesn't make the extraterrestrials real, it's just possible they believed in aliens and that they could communicate to them by drawing a big-ass cat or something like that. Because why do we need aliens to do or inspire what we can achieve ourselves? There may be some way smarter kids in this big classroom known as the universe, but we don't need to copy their homework to get along, plus their desk is just too far away. We may as well try and learn something from our old notes or come up with new ideas ourselves. If I may, dear listeners and Simon, I would live to give my own two cents. My theory is that we'll never find a definitive answer to the question of why, because there's not a single definitive answer. Think about this. If you take a stroll around an urban area in the year of our Lord 2022, you will notice that our walls are covered in signs, symbols, and images of many kinds. Street signs pointing to the nearest town, to a museum, or to a place of worship. Billboards advertising bat and unfried poultry sold by the bucket load. And my mouth is now watering. It's 8.45 in the morning, and I feel like having KFC. <laughs> Electoral posters, tags, and murals left by graffiti artists. Maybe even an original Banksy. We had two appearing in Reading recently. Now, let's imagine 
that in 2000 years all contextual information and records regarding this variety of signs is lost and future archaeologists are left to interpret what the heck was going on uh, with the ancient dwellers of the reading site and why they had such an urge to inscribe any possible vertical surface with mysterious shapes they would have had a hard time figuring out a single explanation but because that's because there are dozens of explanations a piece of urban art a run-of-the-mill tag or an ad billboard designed by an illustrator may share a similar technique application of some form of pigment on a vertical surface the mysterious artist known as banksy your teenage tagger and your don draper wannabe may have even shared similar training but that doesn't mean that they intended to fulfill the same function some symbols may advertise a good or a service others are a form of art many more may indicate territoriality as in this alley belongs to such and such graffiti crew finally the planar ones are purely functional indicating how to get from point a to point b what i'm speculating here is the nazcas may have made use of the most commonly available resources to them sand pebbles and vast expanses of land to exercise a wide array of functions over a period spanning centuries drawing different styles along the way so what box should we tick votive offering related to irrigation and fertility delineation of ancient commuter routes and pilgrimage tracks indication of territorial property plain old-fashioned artistic expression i'm inclined to stick all of the above in this case but i kindly invite proper scholars to demolish this theory in the comments i think you're bang on arnaldo to be honest i think you're bang on i'm not a proper scholar <laughs> but i agree with you bonus facts oh here we go large geoglyphs are not exclusive to nazca nor to south america yeah i feel like there's a big horse drawn on the side of a mountain near where i grew up i can't remember much about that it's a big horse or a big something penis there's kids around made with chalk or some shit like that some years ago it took me just one hour to admire to drive to admire the gigantic uffington white horse that's it a 110 meter horse carved into the side of hill in oxfordshire southern england boom that big old horse this geoglyph was carved sometime between the 14th and the 6th century bc by digging deep trenches on the hillside which were later filled with crushed chalk boom big brain it is a striking design of white lines against a green backdrop mesmerizing in its beautiful simplicity that's all right <laughs> another world-renowned geoglyph is the notorious cern abbas giant in dorset i don't know this one this brawny gentleman was likely carved in a much later period between the 8th and 12th century a.d it's depicted as it aggressively struts in the nude across the english countryside wielding a long stiff menacing rod oh my and he looks like he's holding a club this is a dude with a very small head and a big penis <laughs> what is this it's so weird due to the nature of the image victorian folk tales speculated that the sleeping uh sleeping on the giant may have cured infertility <laughs> i wonder if scholars in the year 4020 ad may venture a similar explanation when examining the notorious cock and balls scrolled next to the nag's head in reading <laughs> two geoglyphs are not exclusive to nazca nor nazca is renowned only because of its geoglyphs in 2017 streaming service gaia.com aired a documentary called unearthing nazca in which a team of experts analyzes a mysterious mummy well unearthed uh, in nazca what unearthed in nazca oh i see because it's called unearthed in nazca oh i'm uh, unearthing nazca i'm sorry Arnaldo. i missed your i missed your joke there my bad the humanoid creature has a long elongated skull oh my god this is on streaming service gaia are you like even worse than the history channel shit allegedly the humanoid creature has a long elongated skull three fingers on each hand and three toes on each foot i'm not a subscriber to that surface nor do i intend to subscribe unless simon agrees to cover the expense i fucking do not Arnaldo. <laughs> 
<laughs> I absolutely do not allow you to bill me for signing up to a fucking subscription service with this nonsense. But even if he does, I'd probably trick him and invest the money on renewing my script subscription instead. Anyhow, apparently the documentary speculates that the unearthed, unearthly creature is, drumroll please, an ancient alien. And this point we roll our eyes. <laughs> Peruvian archaeologists have naturally contested the claim, stating that the mummy is indeed ancient, but it was likely mutilated in recent times. It should be noted also that elongated skulls were a feature not uncommon among the Inca and other pre-Columbian populations. It was a widespread practice to wrap infants' heads so that their relatively soft skull bones morphed into such a shape. That sounds healthy. What was the reason why the practice? Well, it was so that they could look like their alien visitors, of course. A more likely explanation comes from Professor Matthew Velasco, a writing for Current Anthropology. See, Current Anthropology sounds uh, a lot more legit, and I'm sure is a lot more legit, than unearthing Nazca. <laughs> Shit, guys, come on. According to him, headbinding and headshaping may have been a cultural practice carried out by the elites to enable political solidarity and distinguish themselves from the lower classes. Just wear nicer clothes. Come on. This has been an episode of Decoding the Unknown. Thank you so much for being here. I mentioned at the front of the episode, if you can give me a review, if you listen, that'd be fantastic. Those reviews help us get in front of more people. If you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, and I'll see you next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.